Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. We're about to dive into a brand new series called The Wonder of Christmas. And here's the question that I want to launch these couple weeks, and then we'll roll into Christmas Eve. But the question is this, like, what do you wonder? Like, like what do you wonder? One of the things that is the mark of the image of God or God in us, and maybe if you don't believe in a God, you have your own explanation, but there's something to humanity where all of us, we just wonder. And sometimes your wonder leads you to joy. Sometimes your wonder leads you to fear. Sometimes your wonder just leads you to wonder about more stuff, but one of the marks of just being human, and I think if you factor in the God thing, one of the marks of being made in the image of God is just wondering about stuff. And the thing that causes us to continue to wonder, like this is a lifetime thing and we never stop and we never get to the end of all of our question, is because our frame of reference doesn't provide us with all the answers, right? Like you're never gonna get to a place where all of the big questions are settled. No matter how full of faith you are, how much you believe in God or whatever your framework or worldview is, there's always more questions. There's always more wondering. There's there's always more to learn. And then though, on the other side, as our frame of reference expands, as we grow, as we mature, as things change, like some of those mysteries are solved. Like some of those questions get answered. I give you one example that you're not gonna care about when I give it to you anyway. And you studied this in school, but you don't remember it because it wasn't relevant and it wasn't, it's not really relevant to you now. Um, so why I'm talking about it, I don't know, but it actually sets up really well um, where I'm going. But for decades, there was this thing scientists held to, which is called the steady state theory of the universe. Like, does anybody remember this? You just glossed over it? I didn't think so. So the um, theory of the universe basically said that the universe had no beginning and no ending. Like there, there was no start. There was no origin story. It just was there. The, the only problem with that, and Einstein actually held to the steady state theory of the universe. The only problem was that it defied what would be called infinite actual. Like it, there can't be infinite actual, meaning an infinite number of actual things or an infinite number of actual events. And so though it kind of measured up scientifically, they thought at the time, it didn't measure up in terms of mathematics and it didn't measure up in terms of experience. And so it was this thing that they wondered about in terms of the universe, in terms of the galaxies. And then in 1929, Edward Hubble discovered for the first time that all of the galaxies were moving at incredible speeds in different directions away from us. And that was a significant study because as he observed the galaxy speeding away from us, if you were to rewind that or move that back, it would all come back to kind of a single point of origin. It would all come back to some kind of start, some kind of beginning. And so it began to change what they observed. It began to change how they think. It began to change what they wondered about. And in fact, Einstein was so moved by this, so curious, so intrigued that in 1931, Edward Hubble 
brought him to the top of Mount Wilson and through a, a telescope observed all of this stuff that was going, all these things that he had discovered. And in that moment, in some ways, their observation changed the world. And over time, in about 1964, they discovered what was called the cosmic microwave background radiation. And I know, like, you're already gone. You're like, it's Christmas, what are you doing? I know, just stay with me. So they did, discovered this, and it led ultimately to this discovery that the universe or the galaxies actually did have a point of origin. It did go back to something. It didn't defy infant actual. There was a start. There was a beginning. Things started somewhere. And then ultimately that led to the Big Bang Theory. And most relevant to us is the, one of the greatest sitcoms of all time, the Big Bang Theory. It brought us that. But this whole idea that everything had a beginning. And by the way, um, as Christians who get tripped up with things so often and have the idea that science is somehow the enemy of faith or the scriptures, Genesis tells us that God create, created the heavens and earth. It actually doesn't tell us how God created the heavens and the earth. There's no conflict between science and the scriptures. And if you don't take anything else away, here's what you need to know. There is no conflict. Science discovered what Genesis had said for thousands of years, that everything had a beginning. Everything had an origin. Everything had a start. And so those discoveries led to a new frame of reference and new questions and new wandering all over again. And my point in all of that is this, is that every single individual, just in terms of life as human beings, have a framework that helps us make sense out of life and it helps us make decisions that make sense. Like all of us view life basically through a frame or through a window or through a frame of reference and it's based on a lot of things, but it determines how we see the world. It determines how we see other people. It determines how we interpret circumstances around you. Like your frame of reference or your framework for life or worldview, whatever it is, it kind of determines for you what's right and wrong. It determines for you what's moral, what's ethical, what's right, what's fair. Ultimately, it serves as what is just, what's unjust. And everybody's frame of reference basically is some kind of belief system, even if, again, you don't factor in the God thing. There's some kind of belief systems about life that leads to some kind of agreed upon behavior that ultimately leads to kind of your framework for hope or, or the ability to hope for the future. And for all of us, like our frame of ref reference is different depending on our background or where we came from. For some of us, our frame of reference was a religious background. For others of us, like your framework, which in many cases was handed to you, right? Like most of us, our framework was handed to us by a parent, by our upbringing, by the environment we were raised in. But for some of us, it was purely scientific, what we could observe. For others of us, it was kind of religious. So like your family believed there was a God, but he was distant and it was ethereal and he wasn't involved and active, but somewhere out there was a God and we should pay attention and we should try to live moral lives. Or maybe your frame of reference was academic or for a lot of us, your frame of reference was moralistic. So you had a frame of reference for life that basically was, if you do these things, here's what God's gonna do. And it was all about obey, obey, obey. Here's what you need to obey. Here's seven more things. For others of you, maybe your frame of reference was opportunistic, which is, it's all about you. And so I've gotta kind of make my future. I've gotta make my way. I've gotta take advantages of the opportunities that I've been given. And then others of you, your, your frame of reference, and nobody probably would have put this language on it, but it was kind of karma, 
And nobody said that, but it was just this idea that kind of everything happens for a reason. And so your framework for viewing circumstances and decisions and life moments was everything just happens for a reason. And somehow things come back around you. Or on the opposite side, you grew up with a framework that was all about fate, where nothing happens for a reason. It's just all random. It's all chaotic. But my point is this, whether you think so or not, online audience, prison, school, dorm room somewhere, sitting in a seat right here, you have some kind of framework or worldview for life. And for most of us, it was handed to us at some point along the way and we adopted it. And then as we grew older as adults, for many of us, we adapted it because you thought you were smarter than your parents or you thought you were smarter than what you grew up with and you had new sophisticated questions and like, I don't know if I believe all that. I believe some of it, but I don't believe all of it. And so I'll take some of that here and then I'll add some of this over here. And then many of us adapted it and then adopted it again. And then, and then many of us adopted our framework as kids and then we adapted it. And this is a story of so many people that I deal with and so many people connected to our church. And then we just abandoned it because when life doesn't make sense or when life doesn't add up or when life doesn't line up with our frame of reference, ultimately it just leads us wondering, wondering why, wondering why God would, wondering why God wouldn't, wondering why that would happen, uh, wondering why you can't get answers to this question, wondering why it keeps moving in this direction. And come on, if you've ever been there before, especially when you hold to something that is so powerful and so ingrained in you, this framework for all of your life, and suddenly it's disrupted, it's disturbing. When you start wondering about really big questions that you've always just kind of had the answer to, it's disrupting, it kind of puts you off balance and ultimately a lot of times that wondering can lead you to wandering. And it doesn't always happen that way and it doesn't have to happen that way, but in a lot of cases it does. In fact, for a lot of people who are watching and listening, that's exactly what your story is. You're like a, a, in a season just seemingly lost after feeling liberated and then just wandering as a result of your wondering and as a result of your questions and as a result of your unexplained questions. And here's the thing for a lot of us, it's not all of us, but we don't generally wander in good directions. And a lot of times, specifically with faith, things didn't line up or add up and somewhere along the line, your wandering led to just abandoning faith. And initially it was disconcerting and you're kind of nervous and it's emotional. It's, I don't know if I can let go of this. Like this framework has been my entire life. And then for many of you, and you'll know what I'm talking about, then there's almost this feeling of liberation. I almost feel free. It's easier to put the constraints of this behind me, this framework and just kind of follow my own, own path. And then at that moment, the wandering begins. And so here's where I wanna go with all of this today and the next week as I conclude this short series is I wanna encourage you as we are on the brink of celebrating the life, the birth of Jesus. And he, again, even if you don't buy into it, it's captured the world's imagination. I mean, you can love Jesus, hate Jesus. You can't ignore Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is everywhere. Jesus is dominating the globe. Little Jewish carpenter that never traveled 30 miles from his home. And during this season, when everybody's attention globally is on this, on the celebration, on the birth of Jesus, what I wanna encourage you to do and what I wanna make a case for you to do is to maybe for some of you, reinsert Jesus at the center of your framework. 
For others of you, like you haven't abandoned Jesus completely, but, but there is some kind of invitation to, to put Jesus, even though you haven't abandoned faith, back at the center of your worldview. And for others of you, it's maybe to reconsider or for the first time, consider putting Jesus at the center of your framework. Now, here is what I know the objections are because I get this and I have more conversations around this stuff than I probably do anything else is that for a lot of us, the price of admission or readmission to put Jesus at the center of our framework just seems too high. Because for a lot of us, the price of admission feels like sacrificing our brain. And I'll just tell you, this is just me being really honest every single week. Christianity has not done us a service in not perpetuating this idea that you have to let go of intellectual honesty in order to follow Jesus. We are amazing, and I mean that very sarcastically, at putting science and philosophy and psychology as some kind of enemy to the truth of the scriptures and Jesus, and you will not find that dynamic if you look at the life of Jesus. That was not the original version. The original version was an intellectually robust faith that was not have faith in faith. Can I just apologize to some of you who got handed a faith that was basically this, if I could summarize it in a couple words, you just need to have faith in faith. Like that's how it kind of felt to you, right? Well, just have faith, just have faith in faith. What? No, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna be intellectually dishonest, just have faith. In fact, the scripture never invites you to just have faith in faith. There's a whole nother message that we'll get to. But Jesus anchored something in history, an event, so that you could know. And so now your faith is in a person who did something and anchored it to an historical context so that you would not have to give up your intellectual robustness and follow Jesus. In fact, Jesus is asking you to follow him with all of your mind along with your heart and soul. And so you don't have to give up your brain and follow Jesus. But for others of us, the price of readmission is not maybe that we have to sacrifice intellect, is you have to sacrifice your freedom. That you have to give up your freedom. And honestly, like you're right. Like if you are going to follow Jesus, and Jesus was really clear about this, I don't want you to just believe stuff about me. I want you to follow me. And if you follow me at some point along the way, you're gonna have to say no to you. You're gonna have to say no to some of your stuff. You're gonna have to say no to some of your desires. And my way is better, but you just need to know there is a sacrifice on the front end. It does cost something to follow Jesus. But listen, it costs something with any framework you adopt. You give up freedom. You've never thought about this, some of you. You give up freedom with any framework that you adopt, any worldview that you adopt. It's why every framework comes with an ought and an ought not attached. You don't have to have God in the picture, but you still feel like there's certain things that you ought not to do. To quote C.S. Lewis, you feel like there's things that ought not to happen in the world or globally, or you wish you could get that season back, or you wish you could remake that decision. Every single framework or worldview comes with a I should or I shouldn't. Every framework has this idea of at some level giving up our freedom. But even besides that, and like not to, don't leave early to be a little bit in your face for a second. Besides, your, your framework, your window for viewing life and decisions and people, it might have a fatal flaw. And the fatal flaw in your framework is you. The fatal, the fatal flaw in my fl- framework, <laughs> the fatal flaw in my framework, you try this. 
is me. I mean, think about this. At every season of your life or our lives, our frame of reference changes. Like, what do we know? I mean, even stupid things. For some of you, you hated your parents for taking you to the dentist. And now you willfully drive yourself there. And nobody's making you. Because why? Because your perspective changes. Your frame of reference changes. I mean, you can look back at things to go, you were so sure he was the guy. You were so sure she was the one. You could not have been more sure about the relationship. And now you're trying to find a way to get out of the relationship. Or you had that thing like, I've, we gotta buy it. We can make payments for 48 months. We got really creative on the financing. Gotta get it, gotta get it, have to buy it. And now it's one of the stupidest decisions you've ever made, right? Like all of, like what do we know? Or, or you can look back at, at things on your life where you had to go there, you had to make a presence, you, you had to make sure that you did not miss this thing. And now that thing that you couldn't miss is the scene of one of your greatest regrets. Because your frame of reference changes. Your perspective changes at every season or there's that individual, you know the story. And you were so angry, you were so upset, you were so livid didn't know if you were ever gonna get on the other side of it. And then you heard the other side of the story and it changed everything because our frame of reference is limited. Like, what do I know? You have enough track record to answer this question. What do you know? Like, what do we know? And this is the beauty of the Christian story. This is the beauty of what we celebrate at Christmas. This is the beauty of what Jesus introduced to planet earth is that we believe that God did not stay distant, that God did not stay ethereal, that God did not wait for us to catch up intellectually or figure everything out or get all of the satisfying emotional answers to our questions. But instead, God superseded all of that and entered into human flesh and moved to our side of the frame in order to be a point of reference so that we would see clearly, so that we would have a way forward, that even in our lacking, in our limited knowledge and limited understanding and limited framework based on where we are, where we live, where we're at in this time and space, God would do something on our behalf in order to make the way clear for the future. So this guy that wrote the book of Hebrews debated who wrote it, I'm pretty confident, I know who, it sounds really arrogant as I say it out loud, but I, I won't, so he or she, whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't know for sure, we think we do, but Hebrews was written by a Jewish guy, a Jewish Christian, and it's such a fascinating book because the writer of Hebrews writes to a group of Jewish Christians who came out of Judaism, so all they knew, their framework for all of life, they grew up in Jewish Sunday school, they learned the Torah, they knew the whole deal, and then suddenly Jesus had done something, and they began to follow what was seen as kind of a Nazarene sect in the first century, this, this thing called the way. They began to follow Jesus and they basically gave up everything that they knew. Every part of their framework that they held to, all of it was kind of gone. And so they were beginning to be tempted to let go of their new framework and move back into old ways. Because for them, the sacrifice was incredible. They were ostracized from the community and ostracized from the synagogue, which really was the epicenter of all city life. And they were, again, seen as kind of this marginalized group and they were getting no benefit for following Jesus. This is something you need to consider about first century followers of Jesus. None of them made out ahead because of the fact they followed Jesus. 
Most of them suffered incredibly. Many gave up their lives. And so they're at the point where they're just considering walking away because like many of us, we've been there. What's the benefit of following Jesus right now in this season? We're cut off from life. We're wondering about a bunch of stuff. Now we're tempted to wander because it's not making a whole lot of sense and our framework is not lining up with our life experience. And so the author of Hebrews writes to them to say, don't give up, don't let go. And he gives them one word to say, don't back away, don't begin to let go, even though you doubt, I want you to hang on. And here's the conclusion he comes to in Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. He says this, therefore, basically, in light of everything you've experienced, in light of everything that Jesus has done, in light of everything that you've experienced, in light of everything that you know, even though it's limited, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, and I know that's weird, but they believed that Jesus didn't just die on the cross, but Several days later, they saw him resurrected and walking around the city and eating breakfast on the beach with the disciples. And one time he appeared before 500 people. And then later on, he gathers all of his guys to go like, listen, um, I'm gonna send somebody to be with you, the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna be out of here, but I'm gonna give you what you need to start this new movement that's gonna change the world. And I know you don't have anything, including intelligence, at least not in light of how the world or, or academics in our day think about it, but I'm gonna give you everything that you need with no platform, no education, no experience, no money. And you just do what I tell you to do and you don't abandon this framework and it'll change the world. And then he ascended into heaven and the writer of Hebrews is like, you guys were there, you saw it. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who entered into our space and then ascended into heaven, Jesus the son of God, I love this. Let us, let you, let me, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess, the framework that we profess, basically. Here's what he's not saying. I want you to hold firmly because everything is working out for you. I want you to hold firmly because you have received emotionally satisfying answers to all of your questions. You know what I mean by that? Sometimes you can get answers to questions, but those answers do not satisfy you emotionally. You want a different answer. Not because you have received everything in terms of the answers to the explanations that you need for life. Not because of any of that. I want you to hold firmly because of Jesus. Not since everything is great, since Jesus. Not since you can explain it all, since Jesus. Hold firmly to the faith that we profess. And then later he would write this, and I'm gonna come back around to part of this next week. But he says this in Hebrews 12, one later in this book that he's writing. Therefore, since we, this is so important, are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And when he writes this, he's just rehearsed this whole group of people, starting with this guy by the name of Abraham on, about the fact that they lived their entire life believing that God had made a promise for the world. That God comes to a guy by the name of Abraham and says, Abraham, through you, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna create a nation and that nation is gonna bless the entire world. And they're thinking, how in the world is that gonna happen? And then the empire rose to prominence with David and with Solomon and they were richer and they had more influence than they had ever had before. And the Jewish people generations later are thinking, this is the moment. This is the time that God's gonna use us to bless the entire world. And then the nation comes crumbling down 
and they think all hope is lost. And generation after generation after generation is waiting for this promise. And they believed and they prayed and they expected and they died without the fulfillment of that promise. And then another generation was raised up and they believed and they expected and they prayed and they died without the fulfillment of that promise. But they lived their life believing God has made a promise and a prediction that he would do something for the entire world and they never saw the promise fulfilled. And here's the point of the author of Hebrews. To his first century audience and to us, (laughs) you have no excuse You have no excuse because they were on the backside of a promise that had not been fulfilled yet. And now you are on the other side of that promise and God has already done it. God has already blessed the world. God has already come after 400 years of silence in the form of Jesus to take up residence on planet earth and condescend into human flesh. And he lived where we lived and he experienced what we experienced and he felt what we felt and he cried tears and he was betrayed and had his heart ripped out and experienced disappointment and he walked where you walk and where we have walked. And then at the end of it all, he did something that had been predicted for hundreds of years and he went to pay the punishment for our sin on the cross and then he validated it by walking out of a grave alive and it's anchored to history that we serve a resurrected Christ. And for hundreds of years, they were waiting for that Messiah. They were waiting for that man. They were waiting for that promise. They were waiting for that fulfillment. And now the author of Hebrews says that promise, that man, that Messiah, that hope has been here in your midst. He accomplished it all. It's finished. And now you are on the other side of the promise. Do not give up. Instead, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And basically the author of Hebrews is like, just the sin that trips you up, the sin that grabs you and distracts you and moves you away from what I have for your life, for your destiny, for your future. But then there's another application for some of us because this is what we feel because it's the sin that led to a lot of guilt And for some of us, based on maybe the framework that we had as a kid, what you were handed, your view of the world, it led to not just guilt, but a lot of shame that wasn't of Jesus. But for some of you, you experienced this idea, whatever you called it, of sin that led to guilt. And then here was your your solution for the guilt that you felt because of sin. You decided that there was really nothing to that religion. You decided there was really nothing to that framework. You decided that there's really no such thing as sin. And the thing is, I've had, I think it's safe to say literally hundreds of conversations like this, where you sit down where there was this moment where it just didn't add up anymore. It didn't line up. And most of the time it's around behavior. Like my framework didn't line up with my behavior or the direction that I wanted to go. And they never changed any of their behavior. They never changed anything that they did. They never changed any of the decisions. They just changed what they believed about the decisions. They just changed the entire framework for their life in order to make it work. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so he says, don't don't allow yourself to walk away or to be thrown off by the sin that hinders and entangles. But verse two, let us, first century, 21st century, let us run with perseverance, the race 
that is marked out for us. And this is bigger than just you. Like God has a race for you. God has a will for you. God has a destiny for you, but God has a will and a race and a destiny for every generation of followers of Jesus. God has a will and a destiny and a race for our church, for our community, for our city, for what God wants to do. And what he says is, I want you to run with perseverance. Basically, there is a framework that makes sense and makes clear the way forward. Even with all of your unanswered questions about life, there is an organizing principle. There is a true north, but it is not an insight. It is not a philosophy. It is not a belief system. It's a person. And it's why all throughout the New Testament, after the story of the birth of Jesus and everything that went down with his life, Jesus' invitation over and over again was none of the things that many of us grew up with in terms of the framework that we were handed. The invitation of Jesus was, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. And so the author of Hebrews says, it is possible that your upbringing, your religious tradition has you moving your framework toward anything and anybody but what it should be on. And so he says this, this is so powerful. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because, and I know my audience, many of you, have been led or adopted a framework that has you fixing your eyes on a hundred other things that have nothing to do with Jesus. For some of you, the framework or the foundation for your faith became fixing your eyes on a pastor or a priest. And that became the epicenter of your framework for faith. For others of you, you fix your eyes on a church or a denomination or kind of a a subculture that became the basis for your framework and faith. For others of you, you were handed a framework that was political. And so over time, you really couldn't distinguish between Christianity and politics and it all just seemed like one thing. Or others of you, the basis of your framework became the Bible. And so the epicenter of everything was the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Or for others, it's your experience. And whether your experience matches up or it's circumstance and how things are working out and just in terms of the decisions or the outcomes of your life. But then eventually when you were handed that framework that was fixed on any of those things, here is inevitably what happens. He fails you. She fails you. The church fails you. You were given this idea that our faith is entirely based around the scriptures and this will seem almost uncomfortable to you, but it's not. Without Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, we would have no scriptures. And for some of you, you had this all or nothing faith and some, of you, some people handed this kind of house of cards kind of faith based off of the Bible that eventually came tumbling down for you or for others of you. Eventually your experience subsided and you didn't feel the same things anymore. And when you didn't feel the same things anymore, your framework for all of your life began to erode. For others of you, it wasn't so much your experience, but eventually your circumstances did not add up or they did not line up with what your framework said should happen because God said that God would, or at least you thought so, and then God didn't. Or you were taught that God said that he wouldn't and then God did. And then because you can't reconcile those two things, because those things don't line up, because those things don't add up, it caused you or is tempting you to abandon your faith, 
to let go of that framework or to somehow adapt that framework. And so the author of Hebrews says to you, to us, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because Christianity began and rests on not an organization. And Christianity began and rests on not a philosophy and not a denomination. And it doesn't rest on a building and it doesn't rest on a book. It rests on a person. And so the author of Hebrews says to these Jewish Christians who are tempted to walk away and he says to us, fix your eyes on Jesus. And he says, it's the pioneer. I love this, literally the founder and the originator of our faith because it didn't begin with the philosophy and it didn't begin with the system. It began with Jesus. Fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Literally, here's what that means, perfecter. One who brings something to a successful conclusion. Perfect landing. It begins and it ends with the person of Jesus. And so when John sits down to write his gospel toward the end of his life, he says, God in the form of Jesus came and he dwelt among us. And then Jesus would say over and over again, and this is part of what got him crucified. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you wanna know what God is like, watch me. My favorite scene in the gospels is when Jesus is being baptized and it's a weird moment. If you didn't grow up in church, but stay with me where some kind of voice comes and it says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And basically it was God the father making a declaration to all of humanity. Hey, if you want to know what God is like, watch my boy. If you wanna know how God thinks, watch my boy. If you wanna know how God sees you and responds to you, watch my son. Everything about God and who God is, is in Jesus. He came to explain who God is, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And then he says this, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And by the way, and yours. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I don't know if I can say this, but I will anyway. Now I have another service so they can podcast that one. That is such a BA line. Like he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you know what that means? Because you just skip by it. It was an intentional declaration to all the world in every generation. I started this thing. I finished this thing. I endured your shame, your guilt, your past, your dysfunction, your future that you haven't even gotten to yet. I took all of it on the cross for all of humanity, all time. And then I offer this invitation that you don't need to do anything because you can't. It's why you needed me. Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. The one who's gonna do it all for you is here. I want you to place your faith and trust in me who has given you everything, eternity, life, forgiveness. And then he adds this statement. And then he was done. He put his feet up just so the whole world would know I accomplished it all and it's finished for all time, for all of humanity. You never have to go back to that cross again. You never have to stay under the weight of that shame and guilt again. All of it was taken on Jesus on the cross. So I'm just gonna sit down so that you guys know all of it's been completed. 
and I'm at the right hand of God. And one day, if you place your faith and trust in me, you will stand before me as perfect, holy, righteous, secure, and forgiven because of what I did for you. So, consider him. With all of that in mind, consider Jesus. Consider his life, his teachings, his claims, not the organization that failed you, not the church that heard you, not the leader that ended up not being what you thought, not the house of cards, biblical argument that you were given that came crashing down in a freshman English class. Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart and not give up and not let go. And if we were to be honest, some of you are there, you're on the verge of growing weary and losing heart and giving it up altogether. And at Christmas, what we celebrate is that God, through Jesus, came to our side of the frame to be a reference and to show us the way forward, even with all of our limited understanding and wondering. And so here's the question and probably two questions I wanna leave you with. If you wondered, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with, with wondering. All of the scripture invites us into that. In fact, wondering can lead you to a, a greater faith than you ever had before. But for some of you, your wandering or your wondering didn't lead you into that place. It led you to wandering. It led you to walking away. It led you to considering some kind of other framework or alternative. In a lot of cases, not even because you had strong intellectual reasons for it. It's just your behavior didn't match up, so it was easier to change the framework. And so my question for you is just this, what was the faith that you lost fixed or fastened to? I, I've dealt this past year and a half with more followers of Jesus, some who followed Jesus for 30 years. I felt with, I've dealt with more Christians who are experienced what I would call deconstruction of their faith than I've ever dealt with before in mass numbers. Just, I'm not sure that this is tenable anymore. I'm not sure it's feasible. I'm not sure I believe it. I'm not sure I like this version. In a lot of cases, it's because the version that they're following is a perverted version of faith. So my question for you, my question for many of you, you can't get in the room yet because you're in a place of wondering and then wandering. My question for you is what was the faith that you lost fixed or fastened to? Because chances are, it wasn't Jesus who caused you to wonder. And here's the thing, and I'll close with this. Circumstantial or experience-based faith, I'm just gonna tell you, it never holds up. Circumstances where like, when I can see God working, when I understand God, when I can connect, connect the dots or experience-based faith, which many of you grew up in, we're always looking for signs. You're always looking for, did God speak? And listen, you get that wrong a lot of times and your experiences lie to you. And circumstantial or experience-based faith, eventually it will disintegrate and not survive under the pleasures or the pressures of life. Because eventually the pleasures and the pressures of life will make your faith inconvenient and implausible. 
It was never based on your circumstances. For 400 years, followers of the way died with a promise wondering, is it gonna be fulfilled? Is God gonna do it? Is God gonna come through? Generations of Christians who did not experience God, they didn't feel God. God seemed really silent and really absent and they kept following, believing that his absence was not his anger and his silence was not his indifference and that they believed anyway, fixing their eyes on Jesus. So if you wondered and then you wandered, perhaps your eyes got fixed on the wrong person or the wrong thing. And Jesus says to the writer of Hebrews, fix your eyes on me. Would you pray with me all over the house? And you can stand with me in this moment. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing in this moment. Our goal as a church is to double down on the only message that really matters and holds any weight. And that's the message of Jesus. So God, I pray that you would work in whatever way that you wanna work right now in this moment and in this space that you would take the simplicity of your invitation and that you would anchor it into our hearts in such a way that we would just surrender to you with all of our wondering. And in spite of our wandering, regrets and shame. And that maybe this season would be a reminder that you did it all. It is finished. And then you sat down, completing your work, the right hand of God for all times. And one day you're gonna usher in a kingdom that will rule and reign forever. And so Jesus, I just pray that, that maybe those who have, have moved away from you. They haven't abandoned faith, but you're not the center of their framework. I pray this would be the moment where you are reinserted at the center of their framework. For others that have already left, I pray that they would feel what countless people felt all throughout the gospels who had wandered away, who had made a lot of decisions in the process and your invitation over and over again was follow me. I love you, follow me. I'm still for you, follow me. And that maybe this would be the moment where they come back to you and for others that they just abandoned it a long time ago or they never bought into the framework and they were giving, given maybe a faulty point of reference to begin with. I pray this would be the first time that they would look at Jesus. And so do your thing. May this season remind us that this is the message. This is the good news. We've got nothing else other than you. And so we pray this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, 
Would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.